0: I'm Matt Cook, and this is Talking Banking Matters, new audio content for leaders in banking, securities, and beyond. Competition in the banking industry is intensifying. Neobanks, fintechs, and tech players are gaining market share, serving customers with a cost to serve significantly lower than traditional incumbent banks, and also targeting lucrative niches in the value chain. Not surprisingly, incumbent banks are increasingly concerned about the limitations of their core architectures. Within this context, foundational technologies such as next-gen core banking systems have played a significant role in accelerating the journey for incumbents to address the historical technology debt and challenges. Joining us to discuss this today is Brian Ledbetter, McKinsey's senior partner and one of our digital global leaders, and also Paul Taylor, CEO and founder of core technology company Thought Machine. The company is one of many in McKinsey's open ecosystem of tech providers we partner with in our banking technology work. Brian, maybe we could just help our listeners navigate where we are today, because we've we've been talking about core technology transformation in banks for, it feels like forever. But it feels like things are changing. It feels like there's a different impetus and acceleration, if you like. I would characterize it as the
1: second era of digitization for banks. Banks came from a predominantly branch and call center-based customer service arrangement. If you needed something, you'd either ring on the phone or you'd go into the branch and get it done. And then with the advent of smartphones, we discovered that uh, mobile technology and digital technology was the way to primarily engage with customers, then using branches and call centers as a sort of secondary um, channel in order to help with complicated things. And so we sort of had this boom in people building apps and automated journeys to get stuff done. And they hooked it all up to their existing systems and it broadly ran. So there's a few basic problems that banks have always had, which is customer data is held in lots of different places. Products are provided by a number of different systems. It's not consolidated. And when they put all this digitization together, they did it how they could with the technology that they had at the time. Time went by and systems became obsolete. And so the whole thing has kind of atrophied. And I think where we are now is we're at an upgrade point, both at the front end, which is kind of the digital end, and we're at an upgrade point at the back end because we've accumulated this technical debt. It's still quite a complex problem. But it offers a lot of opportunity because the the underlying technology is much more mature and powerful than it was when we started this digital journey back in the earlier 2000s.
0: I think that's a beautiful seg into Thought Machine. Paul, so do you want to just tell us where, where did Thought Machine come from? You sold your first company to Google and later worked there, right?
2: A lot of the thinking behind why I did it came from Google. I was always thinking about the question about how did Google do what they did? Certainly, a big part of that was about how to build incredibly scalable, automated, robust platforms that could handle enormous amounts of transactional data and enormous amounts of customer data, do it very securely and very safely, very resiliently, and with basically no people in it. And Google's really a platform company. And I I was enamored by the world of FinTech. So those two bits were there, platform company, uh, cloud native company, uh, and FinTech. So I I formed the company, uh, had a few, Uh, Friends join, and we we searched for a problem, Uh, and we eventually, uh, just like Brian says, you know, after talking to banks, we thought you've really built a nice front end to a pretty shocking back end. Maybe we could help you with that. So I thought these banks are—they're trying to do AI, they're trying to do customer service, they're trying to automate all their journeys, they're trying to be it's safe, they're trying to obey uh, new uh, regulations, stuff like that, and it's all incredibly painful because of the back end. But they're building on top of something that didn't want to be built on top of, and it's all incredibly painful. Why don't we do that and build a core banking platform, and, and, and be platform people, we're, 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 we enable user experience, and we build that, and then sell it to banks.
0: Where are banks now emotionally in this, uh, like in terms of uh, adoption, in terms of um, rejection, in terms of feeling that they can do this themselves, etc. Like, like where are banks kind of on, yeah. that, on that journey?
1: So banks are um, <laughs> banks are a little bit bipolar about this whole thing because I think in the main banks understand the value of modern technologies and getting the digital part of what they're providing to customers to move fast, to provide new propositions, new functionality. They value modern technology to be able to do that. And these systems have been around for 30 years within the bank, and it's built up over time like silt at the end of a river. And so the reason that I say they're bipolar is they really want to move fast. But I have to say it's a bit exhausting actually for for banks because it's a constant prioritization to try to inch forward in terms of modernizing the technology and pushing new functionality out to customers. And so we end up entertaining discussions about how they just try to bypass that problem and and just go clean from the very beginning. What does that mean? So there's two types of really unclean things in the bank, at least two types. So the first one is, technology-wise, over the course of 30 years, bit by bit by bit by bit, they've built technical integrations to a whole variety of supporting systems. To the financial ledger, to payment systems, to external gateways, to external services that provide insight, and point to point connections between all of the systems that they have internally. An average medium sized bank probably has, I don't know, a couple thousand systems, probably two to 4,000 systems in the bank. And so if you do the maths um, <laughs> of point to point connections amongst you, it's like a lot of connections. So that's one thing. The other thing that's uh, a mess is products. So banks are really good at introducing products. They're really bad at taking them away. So an average medium-sized bank has about 3,000 products on the books. By our reckoning, you need about 30 to serve a population like in the UK. Uh, But if you try to get rid of the 2,970 other products, there's always somebody left with one somewhere. Or if you try to delete it from the system, you have an unexpected consequence because there's like a chain of products.
0: And will they often have their own systems built alongside them?
1: They will, but there's actually an even worse situation beyond having a separate system, and that is a lot of the products are manifested, this is gonna be very technical for half a second, they're manifested in the overnight batch cycle of the existing systems, which basically means that when somebody opens the product or they make a transaction of the product, it goes into a line item in the ledger, but then overnight, there's a set of logic that transforms it into another product, and that's how the customer understands it. But all that code that's in that overnight work is not normalized and understood in the ledger, which means that it's like hidden. Uh, And if you try to unwind it, it's linked to a whole bunch of other very important things that happen overnight. And unwinding it's quite difficult.
0: And so it's easier just to leave those. It's almost easier to leave all
1: that, do something new over here, and very, very selectively pick
0: any of it up. And so in terms of Thought Machine, what was the point at which, I know you said it'd been around eight years, before the likes of Thought Machine came around, banks were kind of piecemeal doing this themselves? There was also, um,
1: there were choices, right? You could go buy a core banking system. And the core system was traditional technology. So it'd be like a relational database on a server somewhere with a bunch of functionality and workflow around it to, to make things work. And then essentially what you have to do is you kind of have to copy what existed in the bank into the new, but it, it requires you to clone what you had. And the cloning is a mess because of all the point-to-point connections and all of the product manifestations um, in an unclean way. So it's it wasn't very flexible. It was like you had to really plan it from the very beginning. And then it was a multi-year journey to try to clone what you had. and. You would discover landmines along the way.
2: I'll say that sometimes you look at the bank and say you could have done better but other times you think they don't get enough sympathy for the position they've been in and something that people slightly ignore is that when posed to the question why haven't you gone to the cloud earlier you know we're used to it now but it requires the cloud providers and uh, technology companies like Thought Machines to exist, right? It has to be a, a virtuous ecosystem whereby the cloud providers can provide the fundamental platform technology. We have a partner network with McKinsey and other partners who, who provide that part of it to, to, to say, this is what the plan, this is the strategy and everything else. And then you have to have people provide the technology. And so once we've got those pieces together, it starts to make more sense. But I'll pick up on another point you said, that from the start when we were looking at this, we, we looked at the problem of product complexity in the yeah. bank, right? So let's just use your figure, say there's 3,000 products in the bank, but only 30, even that's a large number, only, only 30 but, but a, that a, a customer could understand, a car loan, a credit card, a debit card, a current account savings card, all the usual things. We said, if we're going to do this and sell this to every bank, you cannot have a requirement that you need to change the platform code to run a new product in the bank. That cannot happen, because the, the burden on us or the bank, if we have to change our source code every time we want to mimic a product, we'll launch a new product, is too high. It's going to be too expensive. It's going to be too slow and everything else. So the alternative, which some of the better ones do, is, is some sort of limited product functionality, whereby you, if you imagine a dashboard with various sliders and knobs and you can say the interest rates this and the repayment period's that. And that will give you something. That will build you something that, that is recognizable as a quote, a high street bank. Uh, but that's not going to do uh, what Brian says. That, that's not going to allow you to, to, to exactly clone the financial uh, behavior of the products in the bank. So so there is only one answer to that is that you need you need to write it in some sort of code So so we have a system of smart contracts and the smart contracts are run in the platform But they're separate to it. Uh, They're written in Python super high level Uh, So you need some programming experience to do it But there's no dependency on us or the the versioning or anything else So, So the bank can create its own ecosystem of these products and it can run it side by side with the existing ones and it can be sure Uh, That's the same and and that is the correct degree of power in that product engine which does it and then once you've got that done You've now solved two of the big problems Uh, You've got universality which means you can do any of the all the products in the bank and it's got configurability without um, Reliance on the platform source code and uh, That's a huge part of the problem solved
1: What you provide is something of a more flexible palette in order to be able to solve the problem and actually flexible not only to accommodate products, but it's actually flexible in the other dimension, which is front to back. So to the very first thing that I was saying, where we have a front-end problem to solve, which is how do we introduce new digital products and services to customers, and we also have a back-end problem to solve, which is how do we get rid of these obsolete systems or simplify the connections, your simplified palette and piggybacking off of cloud services allows you to much more easily solve both ends, front and back, at the same time. Previously, people thought of this as a technology replacement as opposed to a proposition build. Yes. And what I mean by that is it was something that the IT people were going to take care of. The business didn't want to know about it. What we now know is that you mustn't consider it that way.
2: I'm still you know find myself uh, looking in amazement at uh, at how some banks work because I go uh, in the one hand I go this is a real mess but on the other hand I go it actually does work incredibly well. So so you've done an amazing job of making this Yes, work, but you know, you look at a typical large tier one bank and it will have, it, on its website, it will give you the illusion that there's a mortgage and a few things, but these things split into different systems very rapidly. But uh, one of the things we can offer is that when we're saying, okay, so if you want to do an exact one-to-one product mapping, we can do that. But do you want to do that? Because what we can do is, uh, let's say, you've got 100 different mortgage variants on offer we can do that with one product, and the, that product has a proper lever for fixed rate, length of term, repayment penalty, uh, fees, all those sorts of things. You know, loan to value ratio. Put it all in. It's all nice and neat. It's basically because they're all kind of doing the same thing. And what's more, if you want to make a change to the mortgage products, uh, that's a single change. I'll give you an example. So, so in the in the UK, at the start of the pandemic, uh, the government. Uh, said that people could have a repayment holiday on the mortgages. Yes, yes. Right, so in a system like Thought Machines, that's a simple change, put it in, pu- put live the next day, repayment holidays, there you go, do you want it, you know, and everything else, everything recalculated. This was not an easy thing for banks to do, Uh, and and they couldn't do it, right? There's no possibility they could get these lives, so they just effectively ended up having to make manual adjustments to uh, uh, to every customer's account, which of course is, you know, fantastically. Yeah, exactly, uh,
1: but I mean, it's also down to very simple concept, which is, you know, old systems were compiled, and your contracts are interpreted on the go, which makes a massive difference.
0: Let's just step back a little bit and talk a little bit about what's at stake here. Like, why is this so important today? What's the sort of, what's the scale of benefit for a bank to do this? So here's the problem in a couple of dimensions.
1: So I'm a a high street bank. I spend anywhere between 700 million and a couple billion on technology every year. 85% of what I'm spending is going to maintain what I've got. 15% of my spend goes to build anything new and valuable for the customer. On a year by year basis, it gets eaten up to the tune of three to 5% year on year, which means I'm approaching no money left for building any new stuff that the customer would value. So 85% is spent on all that stuff that I have, maintaining it, point to point connections, obsolescence, all that kind of stuff. Next door, I've got a clean sheet challenger bank, spends a lot, lot less on technology. But the proportions are completely reversed. Like maybe, maybe they're spending 15% on existing, but they're spending like 85% of what they have on new. So in absolute terms, it may look like I'm still spending more money because 15% of a billion is quite a lot of money. But
0: And they're not falling over their kind of legacy issues as well, right?
1: They have no legacy issues at all. So the problem with the high street bank is like time is running out. Like it's a ticking problem. And time is running out to the tune of in the next (laughs) five to seven years, they will run out of discretionary spend to be able to build anything interesting for the customer. So they have to figure out how to continue to deliver. Maximize their delivery to customers about new stuff. So how do I get buy now pay later out? How do I how do I address mass affluent customers? How do I build something digitally reasonable for small businesses with this giant millstone around their neck with the existing systems? In the meantime, the Challenger Bank is like speeding along in a Ferrari, and outpacing them,
0: delighting its customer. It,
1: they are delighting their customers. I do have to say that the only thing that saved the high street banks is a sort of issue with brand trust right that's what's saving them right the second if you see what I mean and maybe the Challenger banks never get to brand trust that you get with the more traditional high street banks that you have
2: in the UK that have just been around for hundreds of years but to go on to another one of your points is uh, we need to realize that the cloud isn't one of two options that are that are viable the cloud is the only option so just ask yourself how many new companies build their kit on builder technology and mainframes or or the old way? Well, the answer is no one, right? So no one chooses to do it that way. The only reason why it's still going is because it's difficult to get off or because of a certain kind of mindset or things like that. 20 years ago or even 15 years ago, it was viable to say there were two types of world. There's a traditional legacy mainframe world and there's the cloud world with the kind of upstarts and sales forces in the cloud world. But now there really aren't two paths because you know, Every student graduating, everybody doing a project, it's all cloud computing, they're all learning Go and Python and all these languages and they're operating the world of Agile and continuous deployment. So the banks are gonna go, well, who's gonna run these systems and, and, uh, and everybody else? And it's becoming a smaller and smaller and smaller pool of people who can provide it and people who can run it and people know about it. And, and that is a risk in itself, regardless of cost. Yeah, that is true. The two things that make the biggest difference
1: Um, As I said before, the first thing that makes a difference is to not think of it as a systems replacement, but to think of it as proposition development along with comes new technologies. And the other thing that makes a massive difference is education, actually within the bank. The business kind of knows broadly I should be making use of the cloud because they get hammered with that message all the Mm -hmm. time. But they don't know what that means. They don't know, well, like, what can it do for me? How does it speed things up? What functionality do I get automatically? How uh, could I build things? And so it's almost like You have to get over two mindset things in the bank um, for this next, as I said in the very beginning, this next wave of digitization. One is, It's not a systems replacement. It's an enable, you're building something new for the customer. And the second one is, I'm open to
2: education. I'm open to understanding the new way of doing this and to doing something completely different. But When we talk to banks, the conversation we have now is they go, yeah, I get it, but you know, what's in it for me, what's the benefit? And then we just have a conversation and you go, okay, just go over some things that are frustrating you about the current technology stack. And you'll nearly almost find there's some uh, big problems, which uh, for example, a classic one is, disparate use of customer data and they go yeah we've got these d- different systems and we don't have a single source of truth to the customer and another one that's very quick is uh, comes up is inability to launch fintech style products um, and they go yeah we wanted to launch a buy now pay later product or we wanted to launch a credit card with a savings plan uh, but you know we went over and it said it's going to be 150 million dollars and it's going to take two years and i try to say in Comparing the cloud world or the modern technology world with the old one, there aren't really trade-offs. We're not sacrificing, um, you know, resilience for speed of launch or anything like that. And it is all better. It's just just a a long journey to get there. Make
1: one more point. Let's just look at skills in the marketplace. So if we look at just bank demand for skills The most acute are data engineering, data science, and these sorts of things. The amount that the skills are arriving on the scene in the UK relative to what universities are able to push out and training schemes are able to push out is a very small fraction of what is predicted to be needed. So that's the first problem. Second problem is all those people work in the cloud, to your earlier point. They have to be able to operate in an environment they understand quickly and reliably, and that is a very immediate uh, next couple of years problem that even if you were sort of like well I don't know if I can you know get cloud based stuff to work in my business or whatever you kind of have to because it's the skills you're going to be able to get uh, competing with everybody else in the marketplace that is going to be a big a big driver of this next transformation.
0: Brian I think that some people listening would be forgiven for not quite understanding where McKinsey fits in all of this. So what's the typical route, if you like, for McKinsey to be part of this conversation within the bank. In the old days, clients used to call us up to to
1: ask us, what should I do? They don't call us for that very often anymore. Clients call us to figure out how to do it, how to get stuff done. And how comes in a couple of different forms. They ask us to help them to get stuff done when they're very constrained and there's not an obvious path. So in the issue that i laid out before which is we've only got 15 percent discretionary spend we need to go to market with a number of propositions in order to grow our customer base and we have a ticking landmine in terms of our existing systems what technologies should we use and what should the roadmap be for us to balance step by step both of these requirements growing the business and renovating the technology and then how should we organize to get it done but we generally don't do the system integration we do the blocking and tackling the roadmap to figure out how to get stuff done. And then inevitably, new technologies like Thought Machine have a role to play in that, because the only way that you can move forward fast is to make use of the cloud and to use these kinds of technologies. And we generally, where we work together, go together um, to uh, have that open discussion with the clients to try to figure out how it can be done and and where the place is for Thought Machine versus other um, technologies or other techniques in terms of getting
2: stuff done. So we find the relationship incredibly useful and productive, uh, and f- for a number of things, first of all, uh, especially you uh, Brian, we're not afraid to go early on the clouds coming and, and and let's do it. We have to get into the conversation where we're all McKinsey and Thought Machine, the Bank going to build this together. What is good look like where where are we going to go and how are we going to get through this and uh, you know I don't know how many banks it is by now, but but, but dozens. it is dozens actually it, yeah. yeah.
1: It is dozens. that that And the partnerships come about in different ways. I mean, I think we also end up optimizing for each other. So we've actually built in-house um, to help us kind of prove the point of how. We've built technology harnesses and frameworks and these sorts of things to get going with thought machine fast in the course of trying to demonstrate that we could go to market with a proposition quickly and we could solve back-end technical problems quickly and that sort of thing. So we sort of optimize around it as well to prove the point. We did it because we saw the, the value in it, actually, for the for the bank, for the for the clients and getting stuff done.
0: Can you give us a sense of how many have yet to begin this journey? Are there any of those left? Uh, or is everyone at some point on the path? Is everyone on the path?
1: Yes, they're all somewhere on the path because they recognize that it's an irreversible trend somehow. They just don't know when their time comes and how. So I think everybody's mentally on the path. Actually, I'm at the point where it's mindset that makes a difference more than anything else. And the mindset is that in order to make the best use of these technologies, all the stuff that you have as an organization, as a bank, surrounding change delivery actually have to change organizationally and process-wise because with the old technologies, you had to layer so many control points, risk operating model procedures, change gateways, Uh, service introduction procedures, et cetera, because the the old technologies didn't have a lot baked into them that took care of that automatically. To make use of new technologies, the cloud, thought machine, et cetera, you actually have to free yourself from that to take advantage of the speed and flexibility you're going to get. When you're using cloud technologies, a lot of control is baked into the cloud. You don't have a huge amount of degrees of freedom to kind of mess yourself up like you used to when you were constructing everything with raw materials in your own data center with operating systems, hardware, et cetera. Most banks surrounding processes are still geared for that. And they actually have to be radically thinned out to make use of cloud, to make use of thought machine, to make use of these modern technologies for you to get the benefit. And the reason I say it's a mindset problem is risk management is like in the DNA of employees of a bank, if you see what I mean, and the way that they've done it in their careers for the last 15 years. And you're asking them to do something radically different. You're asking them to put the controls in code, not put the controls in processes and checklists. That is huge. And if you don't do something about that before you start using a thought machine or you start using cloud, you will bog it down to the point where you will think that thought machine can't handle the problem, but that's not the problem. It can. The problem is your processes and controls around it are unsuited for these technologies and the way they should be used. So I actually think it is a mindset issue within the bank. It requires a radical rethink of end-to-end risk management, actually, in terms of uh, change processes, service introduction, code release, and all this other kind of stuff. And unless you do that, you'll crush the benefits that you would get from introducing the technology.
2: Yeah, I I, uh, I would second that. There's a wide range of approaches to how banks uh, adopt Thought Machine, and you know, at one end there is uh, that let's build it as close to the current uh, functionality uh, as possible through to you know, let's build something like a challenger bank, but at tier one bank scale or, or something like that. And, and certainly where the mindset of the bank goes, the cloud uh, resilience and everything else are what thought machine provides is one part of the problem, but we've got a dozen problems. And if you start with the fact that every user journey in the bank needs to be completely automatic, right? So often, call centers and human intervention is called for, they have a very liberal definition of an exceptional case or a problem. But these are things that happen every, all the time. And so if you do that and then you say, right, we're gonna rationalize the product, we're gonna rationalize all the onboarding processes, we're gonna rationalize all the credit checks and all that. And then you go, actually, there's a lot of traffic in here, and there's a lot of um, detail, but there's not anywhere near as many systems and the people that run the systems and everything else as we might have thought. Yeah, uh, yeah, and you also realize, that, and, and when you get banks moving long, long lat lines, it's more successful. When banks see it as purely a hidden back end problem, it will be successful, but we're we're not gaining all the benefit uh, that we could do. Yeah, I would agree.
0: A separate question in terms of where these conversations are happening within banks now uh, is how much is this a CEO and board conversation in a way that it wasn't before. Can you, can you talk about how this has been a cultural and talent management change over the last couple of years and how executive committees and non-executive directors perhaps are, are reacting?
1: It's changed massively. If I were to do the analysis that showed the evolution of the profile of typical bank exco members over time, those running business units, I'm pretty sure I would see a technology of those individuals because they were CIOs. They were technology professionals previously. And bit by bit, we're populating business unit heads with people who understand technology. So that's the first thing that's happening. What that means is that this isn't at least a bank Xcode discussion always because the bank Xcode discussion is how do I quickly deliver new propositions and functionality to grow my revenue line at the same time as renovating these very tricky technology problems that I have in the back. And it's a very short step from that to What are our weapons to try to maximize the 15% and solve my back-end problem, to which thought machine might be a part of that discussion? But increasingly, they're very comfortable, they're very fluent in having these discussions at the board level as, as well and understanding how to trade off risk
2: around these issues. I completely agree. Uh, so I've seen the changing of the guard in, in multiple banks. As the new CEO role opens up in a, in a tier one bank, it is not credible to go into that interview and say, I'm not really a tech person. But you, you have to be on top of the tech world because the, the threats, uh, just even if the most negative way, uh, the challenger banks are there, the tech giants are there, uh, and there's you just cannot sit still in this world. When a new board member is being picked, you, you can't again go, I'm just an old school city person, I'll be fine. You know, uh, you know, I'm great at relationships. So as board members rotate off, we're picking um, far, far more tech savvy people uh, to get on the board. We can look at um, uh, the ex of some banks and go, yeah, th- that's a very different mindset from 10 years yeah. ago. And the previous view is that technology is there to help them run the bank. Whereas now I'm to say the technology is the bank, right? It, it it actually runs the bank. And we're there to do strategy and to do direction and, and, and all that sort of stuff. But but the bank should be run running automatically. And, and and that's a you know, that's not a strange conversation anymore.
1: I've been at a few board meetings over the last few months. The same topic came up in every one. It was actually tech talent. Comes up every time. And the boards are pretty clued in. We're having the discussion in the board at the level of ratios of personnel within the bank. How many code committing engineers do we have relative to other personnel in our change teams? Where's the scarce resource? Where are they located? Where are we gonna get them from? Then the conversation changes to the environment that we're creating for engineers. Non-execs are actually having a very detailed discussion about that. Are we doing all we can to make this an engineer friendly inviting environment to maximise the number of excellent code-committing engineers because the war for
2: them in the talent market is really acute. Previously in in traditional legacy organisations, engineers were there as they're seen as people to implement stuff that the business people wanted. And that model's dying pretty rapidly because we say, look, much better, the business people do the business, the engineering people build the systems as partnership. And you go to a bank and the way it's traditionally run, and it's demotivating because yeah. people don't have much of an impact and they just see that they're not pushing it forward and not launching anything new. And so, if any organization in the world that wants to attract the best talent, you've got to realize that uh, the best way that the best tech companies work is highly engaging and highly attractive to our engineers. Yeah, this is critical.
0: I think that's actually a beautiful segue to our very final section, which is what happens next. Um, so, I'm going to ask you both just to perhaps pass you a crystal ball and just think about the next. Five years. Um, what's going to be new in this space, and what are we what are we going to see?
1: I think the adoption of these technologies will accelerate because I think people are starting to learn now the big lessons, which are big exco level lessons. As I said, around mindset, around unblocking things, by the way we think about risk and controls. I think to Paul's point, we got over a whole bunch of hurdles. Right, the technology works, the regulator understands it. So now that we're acceleration mode. Many banks have changed the way they work to be much, much more agile, shoving technology up into the business and getting it closer to the the front line and this sort of things. I think it will accelerate because banks don't have a lot of options relative to the disappearing 15% that I talked about earlier. That puts pressure on things to happen. And speed is super important for banks to kind of get things done. And this is one of the major speed unlocks that you get.
2: Yeah. Uh, so i would back that up. I think putting times on things is, is a risky business, but that's different from saying what's going to happen. I, I've always said for many years, the clouds are one way straight, right? So, so you can go off it quickly or slowly, but there's no reverse.
0: Gentlemen, thank you very much. Fascinating conversation. It's Matt Cook here again. On behalf of McKinsey's Banking and Securities Practice, thanks for listening to Talking Banking Matters today. We've got a series of conversations planned So we look forward to you retaking your front row seat to listen in on more industry leaders from the world of fintech, banking and digital talk about their work shaping the future of this industry. For now, wherever you are today, thanks again for listening.